Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hey, at least it's better than listening to the Smooth Jazz Hour, hosted by Chuck Mangione. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Ooh, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, it's sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you live from the new location in Huntersville, North Carolina. Yeah, moved four and a half miles. Ooh, more about that in a little bit. Uh, in tonight's show, Pipe Parts, we will recap the, uh, the IPCPR trip and a uh, little bit about the moving. And then my guest tonight is a brand new pipe maker, John Wolf. We'll have him on the phone. Uh, special music mailbag to get caught up on and a rave. All that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, if it sounds different, yep, it's because uh, we've officially moved into the new digs and I'm uh, high atop the new uh, chateau and uh, doesn't sound too good to me up here yet, but I've got some tweaking to do to that. Um, funny, funny thing is, when we moved, the, we had movers come in and pack us, and uh, they were all betting on what was in all those little metal tins and all that stuff, and then they were coming up with uh, how many boxes would it take to pack up what was my office. The uh, final count between uh, Disney trinkets and doodads and... Uh, toys and whatnot was uh and tins of tobacco was 25 small boxes 25 book size boxes <laughs> there was some uh, laughter over that i did not let them did not let them touch my pipes nope not one pipe was touched by a mover uh those were all packed up by me and then stored at a secure location until uh until we could unpack them safely uh they're finally unpacked we're all settled in and uh well, mostly settled in. Still more stuff to do, but I think moving is probably a couple-month-long process, procedure. I don't know. We haven't done it in a while, so it's taking time to get settled in. Um, boy, are my legs sore. All right. Uh, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. And just a quick reminder, you must be of legal smoking age to listen to this fine show wherever you are. All right, so I'm uh, not sure if I told you because it seems like it's been so long. In fact, it's been uh, 17 days since I sat down behind this microphone. Uh, but uh, yeah, feed issues. And I was uh, prepping for Las Vegas and was a little worried about it. Um, overall, <laughs> had some days that I just uh, kind of curtailed my evening activities. I just literally went back to the room and had to put my feet up and then took it easy. And uh, it was kind of actually nice to spend a couple of evenings just relaxing in, uh, in the room or wandering around the, you know, find some place to eat in the hotel and then get back to the room. And that was, that was kind of nice. Um, so the again the IPCPR the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association it's uh the wholesale trade for the entire United States for all the retailers and there's some international uh international retailers uh good representation from Canada that come down for the show as well. Uh the exhibitors this year were uh, less than they've been in the past and the attendees were less than they've been in the past and that's primarily due to uh, FDA, uh, you know, the FDA is still lingering out there, and although we don't know anything yet, nobody else knows anything yet either. So it's just kind of been delayed and is lingering as to what's going to happen. Lots of different, uh, uh, lots of different theories as to what will happen. Yeah, you know, all the way from doomsday to we're going to just ignore it or it'll just go away. So. That's all I got out of, I uh, went to a couple of meetings on uh, FDA updates and stuff like that. That's all I got out of it. Uh, Food-wise, you know me, the big gourmet. Well, I got to In-N-Out Burger three times. And that'll uh, we'll talk about that in the rave a little bit. Uh, Pipe-wise, on the show floor. 
a really good representation of pipes this year. Uh, notably, Dunhill was uh, not uh, didn't have a room this year. They're in transition, and I hope we uh, hope we can announce that as soon as they let us know. Uh, did get a chance to spend some time with Tom and Connor Palmer at Peterson, and they're uh, they're doing well. They've got some new tobaccos that have, that are coming out, or tobaccos that are. Uh, new to the market shall we say because it's hard to call stuff new anymore um the uh again the the pipe pipe representation on the floor was good but it was smaller than in comparison to the amount of cigar companies uh even the cigar companies some of their booths were smaller than what i've seen in the past and that's all because a lot of this money that would normally be spent on trade shows as being spent on uh, lawyers and funneling it towards lobbyists and trying to fight FDA stuff. So uh, again, yeah, it was as expected. Uh, the other impact that happened was uh, the state of California. California's tobacco tax went from about 30% to 80% on uh, July 1st. And that's a uh, a percentage of the wholesale price paid by the first person to bring it into the state, so a retailer or distributor, whoever it is, they have to pay that new tax. And it went up, uh, what, 166% overnight. So a lot of those retailers bought what they could on uh, in June and stocked up for as long as possible. So that kind of impacted the amount of retailers out there. Uh Spent some time with uh, with the folks from Suge. Obviously, spent time with the folks from uh, with uh, the people from Laudisi and uh, uh, Savinelli and Cornell and Deal. Uh, McClellan was there with their uh, 40th anniversary can tobacco. Um, F and K cigars. Gerard had a great selection of pipes. Uh, and then uh, the the new one that I really got a chance to spend some time with was uh, the folks at James Norman Limited, and uh, in fact I even picked up my one my one purchase because sometimes a uh, sometimes an importer will let you pick out one thing and buy it off the show floor. Uh, my one thing my one purchase of the show was a Fern Down. It's a uh, a square square billiard square shank. Kind of that uh, barling, uh, that barling-esque beveled corners that are rusticated and sandblasted and part smooth panels. Uh, perfect sitter, and uh, you know he's kind of worried that there may not be any more uh, ferned down pipes coming down the road. So I figured this was a perfect chance to get one. If you've ever seen a square shanked pipe with a square bowl on it, it's almost impossible to get them lined up perfectly this pipe shows that uh been working at it for a while and uh they know how to do a square shank onto a square billiard uh but that was fun to spend some time with them uh cigar wise you know the cigar companies have some old blends that they're reintroducing or some featured stuff that they're bringing out and pushing and you know some uh so keep an eye out for that but again, most of the new introductions or the new to this market product has already been out and uh, and been sold. Um, let's see what else was there. Uh, really, uh, that I mean that about uh, that about really sums it up. Um, did get a gift. Got a gift from uh, Uncle Rick, as I call him. Uh, Uncle Rick had a relative that uh, passed away, and he found. One full sheet of un, of uncut uh, Walt Disney commemorative postage stamps and two half sheets. So he gave those to me. So I get to have them uh, framed up and they'll be up on the wall somewhere here in the new office eventually. Hopefully. <laughs> A lot of stuff to still do. Um, but hey, at least we're in the house and sleeping comfortably and my uh, new exhaust fan is in. So. All right, let's get the let's let's get on with the show and uh, get John Wolf on the phone here in just a minute. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Internet Radio. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. 
That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking Archibaldino red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show and our first guest in the new studio with the uh, not-so-happy sound to me, but I guess it's sounding good on that end, is uh, John Wolf, And uh, we first met at the Chicago Pipe Show, and what really interests me about you is that you have finally, I guess, made a pipe. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that, but uh, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you very much, Brian. Great to be here. All right, so uh, where did you grow up? Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? And uh, all that fun stuff. Well, uh, I'm actually adopted. My birth family is from Ocala, Florida. But I grew up in Traverse City, Michigan with my adoptive family. Wow. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, have you hit it right off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... So wait, I gotta I gotta ask because my wife is deep in all this genealogy stuff and tracking things. Was so you mm-hmm. so you knew you know both of their both sides of your family, both the the uh, the ones that you grew up with and the ones you were born with. Yes. So the with I mean it was right from birth. I was adopted. Um, my birth family. So my birth mom, my birth father. Um, I have a really close relationship with my birth mom. Uh, just visited her last November with my family. They got to meet my wife for the first time and my son. And yeah, it was uh, quite interesting. I actually ended up going against the state and maybe the law a little bit because in a closed adoption, you have to wait, obviously, until you're 18 years. But then you also have to submit papers and wait another six, eight months to a year to actually find out if you can contact them. And I actually kind of went against that, found some little clues and secrets from my mom on how to find her um, in my <laughs> portfolio that I had, which was awesome. And she, after talking to her and meeting her, she said that she did that on purpose, which was way cool. But I ended up finding her through Facebook, oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's really, yeah, that's really cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and I... We, we've watched several of those genealogy shows where people want to find their birth families or people got separated, mm-hmm. and sometimes it goes, most times it goes good, sometimes it doesn't. I'm glad it went well for you. Yeah, it went extremely well for me. It's, it's great to have even more of an extended family now of blood family and of adoptive family who are pretty much the same thing. It's just the same as blood, and it's great. Yeah. All right, so what did, what did you want to be when you when you grew up? Well, growing up, I was a big-time hockey player. Um, from the age three, I could skate um, without the help of pusher, the little sissy bar, as most people call it. Um, so growing up, I wanted to be a professional hockey player, um, which ended up changing once I was 16, and I got out of it. Well, at that moment, I thought I was going to become a opera singer or some sort of musical performance major which ended up changing to something different, and it just kind of kept evolving. At one point, it was going to be a worship leader or a preacher, and then it ended up becoming, man, it would be really cool if I could, if I could do something in pipes and cigars. That, that would be the dream, but that probably won't ever happen. That, that, that's impossible. <laughs> no one does that anymore. <laughs> that that's your standard career path life choice of a, right. <laughs> of hockey, opera, Faith, then pipes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty pretty normal, I'd say. Yeah. All right. So um. So so you're you're grown up now. You're not a kid anymore. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, but you're still young. Um. When <laughs> when did you actually first smoke a pipe? Um. I first smoked a pipe when I was 19 years old. 
uh, it started off with the guard, uh, but quickly it became a little too expensive for me to continue to buy $10, $15 cigars because yeah. I, for some odd reason, had some sort of expensive taste and kept wanting the exact same cigar over and over again. It got too expensive. So luckily enough, at a wedding where I didn't have cigars, uh, oddly enough, the worship leader at my church said, you know, you should really try a pipe. Uh, you should try this. And, and then by the end of the night, he gifted me a pipe for, you know, as long as I needed it and some tobacco from the local shop, Nolan's Tobacco in Traverse City, Michigan. And, uh, yeah, I fell in love. It immediately, I pretty much put down cigars and, yeah, just fell in love with pipe smoking. And I had a couple people around me that were able to teach me how to do it. So, yeah, immediately it was a... It, it was exactly what I wanted. Do you remember your first pipe? I do remember my first pipe. Uh, it was maybe like a step above a basket pipe. It was still a wall pipe. Yeah. But it was one of the uh, lower grade seven alleys, um, which was, uh, it was, I think it was a, oh, either an antique or seven alley, oh, seven alley rusticated shell or seven alley antique shell. And it was something like a shape 423. It was similar to a, uh, a Dublin, like a quarter bent Dublin. And I was stupid and broke it <laughs> and threw it away because I didn't realize you could fix that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's ways to fix it besides just hot glue. Right, yeah. And, and I just remember the first time I dropped it, and it, well, probably the third or fourth time I dropped it, and it finally broke. I just was, I was very disappointed as you know, this trash down. Can't fix it. Just broke the stem right off the tenon and I just was like, Yeah, it's probably not fixable. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh how soon after did you kind of discover the next level of pipes? Uh the next pipe I bought. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which again is it wasn't some two hundred dollars pipe. It was it, it was I think it was around $90. It was a Nording rusticated pipe, gorgeous little straight billiard. Um, I loved it. I still have it today. It's actually my wife's pipe now. I gave it to her as kind of like a, hey, this was my, this is the oldest pipe I own. It's, it's not an old pipe, but it's the oldest pipe I own that I've had. It was technically, I'll consider it my first pipe that I still have, and it's hers now. So, yeah. So you got her smoking, too. Oh, yeah. My wife does smoke. All right, you're my hero. Um, hey, thanks. I try. <laughs> and and I'm going to assume you followed a uh, similar path to most of us on tobaccos, where you started off with what smelled good and then worked your way around and found what you magically like now? Yes, you have that very, very correct. Uh, it started off with some, it was called Downtown Special. It was a... Uh, like a whiskey, cherry, I think Cavendish vanilla type blend that was, <laughs> uh, and of course it's Traverse City, so it's downtown special, so of course it has to have some sort of cherry in it, since we're famous for cherry festival. Um, and uh, yeah, it, and it didn't really fit with me. I tried many other tobaccos, the baggy tobaccos from uh, Nolan's Tobacco in Traverse City, and I ended up sticking with one and continued to smoke it for a long time called, and I actually still smoke today, it's called a, uh, Kentucky Straight. It's basically just a Virginia based blend with like a subtle whiskey flavoring added to it. And that sold me uh, on really smoking pipes. Before it was like, well, I kind of like this. It's a little too sweet for me, but I'm still too scared to try in English because those are scary. It's more like a campfire. Can't be that good. And uh, yeah, fell in love with that Kentucky Straight blend. And later on, uh, fell in love with English blends, especially since the first English blend I actually smoked was Penzance. <laughs> so I kind of got the cream of the crop for my first English blend. So I got kind of blessed with that one. Here you go, kid. The first car we're going to give you to drive is a Porsche. Congratulations. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got, I got kind of lucky with that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not, too many, uh, not too many people walk in on uh, Penzance as their first English, but, you know, you survived it. I did. I did. <laughs> uh, how often do you smoke? Is it once a day or all day or? 
Um, currently, I usually smoke anywhere from two to three times a day, and that's evolved. It used to be, you know, when I first started smoking, it was, you know, once or twice every, like, four days. It all depended on, because I would only smoke with my friends. I wouldn't smoke by myself. At that point, I was like, oh, this just doesn't feel right. I have to be around some sort of community to enjoy this. But then it just kind of became more and more of a natural thing for me to smoke on my own. It went from, you know, once every two days, then once a day, and now I'm at two or three times a day. Um, people at my work call me Piper uh, <laughs> or Pipey or Popeye or Corn Cob, seeing as I, I'm at, I do construction, I do carpentry for a living. And uh, so I, I don't bring any of my nicer pipes. <laughs> I always bring my corn cob, so I'm used to answering to Piper now. <laughs> So the hockey playing opera singer, uh, what am I missing? The ho- hockey playing opera singer preacher is uh, now a carpenter. Yes, a carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and which is still weird to me because, like, growing up, I I never ever thought in my my life that I would ever do anything that was some sort of handcraft or some sort of building <laughs> because I I always pictured myself as being just just too weak or that's that's too hard of a job and now it just it makes sense to me it, it works i i love actually i love the job i love building stuff and like right now we're currently building a hospital and it's cool to me that i get to take part in building a hospital that someone could possibly get healed in someday so that that's that's kind of why i do it now and why i like it yeah that and it pays better than opera singer yes just a little bit yeah <laughs> Uh, so, so how do we get you down to Indianapolis and working with Nate? Well, I had known Nate through Facebook, through Instagram. I'd followed him for a long while. And uh, it, it was one of those guys that I always looked up to. Um, just because, I mean, of course, everyone saw the steampunk pipe, pipe and thought that was nuts and impressive <laughs> and very creative. Now... I remember seeing that and thinking, man, that's, that's crazy. I would love to do something like that someday, but that's, that's way out of what I could imagine doing. And, you know, that's out of my creativeness. And I ended up, you know, talking to him via Facebook sometimes when I was really trying to give it a go at making pipes. Uh, and it was just, Hey, you know, you need to just get down here and come visit me. We can talk and chat more and I can show you some stuff in the shop. And, then when I went to the Chicago Pipe Show in, goodness, 2016, um, met with him again, and he said, hey, you really need to come down here. You you need to come visit me. We need to talk. And <laughs> lo and behold, because of the job that I had, I was traveling uh, through about five states, Monday through Thursday, and it just so happened that I was like 15 minutes away from Nate's shop, and I said, hey, you're right if I just come in for a little bit, we can chat? Oh, yeah, of course. Come on in. And... We chatted for a couple hours, and then he said, you know, I don't know if you'd ever consider moving, but, you know, it would be great if you could, you know, come out to the shop here and, and you know, we could we could do an apprenticeship. And my wife and I were already considering moving to Florida um, and various other places, and this just became at a time, and it had been my dream for five years to be a pipe maker, um, and I wasn't doing very good at it on my own because uh, I can watch videos all I want. I can read forums all I want, but it just didn't really work for me. It didn't catch. And, uh, yes, that's what, that's what brought me to Nate. I told my wife about it and I think I told her at three in the morning that night and I was, (laughs) I was freaking out. I was like, I just got this crazy offer, offer of the lifetime. I don't think this will ever happen again. Who gets this chance? I I feel like we need to take this, but this is just crazy. Can we consider this? And immediately she said, this has been your dream. We need to take this. We need to start considering, like, when we're going to move our, you know, our rentals up this time. Let, let's look into this. Let's really give this a good consideration because this would be great for you. And just more reason why I love my wife <laughs> and how good she is to me and knows my dreams. So. And and I hate to tell you this, but Nate Nate's lonely and he offers all the young guys to come down and work with him. <laughs> he tries. Yeah, yeah, I know he, he tries. Does. <laughs> All right, that's it. Now that we're done abusing Nate, um, that's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the first pipe and how you got started. So we'll be back in just a minute. (laughs) 
I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, in the break, we were talking about Nate and how he likes things that go fast and uh, little ball bearings. Um, but <laughs> anyway, we're, we're visiting with uh, with. John Wolf, who's uh, moved to Indianapolis with his wife to hang out with Nate King, which is probably one of the reasons why Nate's not married, because all the good women find somebody else. Um, <laughs> all right, no more Nate abusing. Uh, we'll, we'll try. I mean, yeah. nothing, nothing guaranteed here. <laughs> no, it's just so easy. Um, uh, I know. <laughs> it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, so, so you said you, you had tried making a pipe or two before you went down and started working with him? Yeah, I had, I was on and off for about three years. I'd go in for a few months. It, it all started out um, getting, you know, the, the cheapest um, vertical belt sander from Harbor Freight, which puked out on me many times. <laughs> And trying my hardest to use that and figure that out and eventually got a drill press and started drilling my own bowls. But, of course, it never seemed to be on track. I'd always get off track. And, of course, that was from Harbor Freight, too. But not not, not trying to dish on Harbor Freight. They, they do make <laughs> some good stuff, but it just seemed that the stuff I continued to get <laughs> ended up pooping out on me. But, yeah, I tried multiple times. Could never get it right. Um I think one of the last pipes I made before I moved, I actually still have. My wife has stayed claim on it. Um, I love it, and I was actually really proud of it. It was a uh, a Danish freehand, and I actually followed the grain on it a lot better than I expected to. And uh, that that making that pipe kind of was like my all right. I'm ready to make this move. I feel like I'm ready to start learning under a professional, learning under an artisan, whatever you may want to call it, and that was kind of kind of like the epitome of, all right, I'm ready for this. If I can follow grain, I can make, I mean, now Danish freehand don't exactly have an exact shape. They have a style. So I was following that, and I followed that well. And, uh, yeah, so I, I'd made a few, probably upwards to 20, mostly pretty ugly <laughs> and mostly not out of briar. So that didn't really help my case. But I... Uh, I, yeah, I, I did it mostly out of people's garages since I'd never had a garage myself to work out of. And, uh, yeah. So now I'm here actually making real pipes with actual stems. And now <laughs> that you've made sure that Harbor Freight will never sponsor this show. Uh, <laughs> when I do you, my best. And don't, don't, don't worry about giving away trade secrets because nobody's really listening. Uh, mm -hmm. You get down there with Nate. And what is the what's the first thing that he tells you to do or gets you working on? Where where does he start you? Uh, he started me out actually on the tanning discs and getting used to that and comfortable with it because of the fact that I was only used to using a vertical belt sander and using the tanning disc just makes it so much more efficient and really really ingraining it hard into me to to not really worry about it because it obviously takes off a lot of material using a 20, 30 grit sanding disc spinning at a very high speed. And that was so intimidating to me at first. And he put me on that for months, just trying to figure that out, get used to that, get used to shaping on that. 
and not just making tiny little cuts at a time, but really digging into it because the way that um, hopefully I can share this, I'm sure we can, but um, he does, I now do, do 90% of like, you know, once I, like all the real shaping I do is going to be on the sanding disc. Um, sure, I'll do some on the, if I'm drilling for a shaping second, then of course I'm going to do a little bit of the shaping on the lathe. However, doing the rest of it is on the sanding disc. And I was so intimidated at first that it was just taking so much briar off, so much wood, and that I was going to mess it up. I was going to ruin the hips completely and take them all away. And of course, there was a few that I did, <laughs> of course. But having that someone right there to tell me, no, stop doing that little cut. Make that bigger. I want to hear that more. I don't want to hear these little, <laughs> I want to hear, and I'm like, oh, please, I'm like, stop. I, I'm scared. I, I, want to, I want to get this shape right. He's like, we'll get it right, but take some more off at a time. You got to see it. And so that, that was one of, I mean, of course, I'm still learning that. I still, you know, especially when I'm making a, a working on a commission pipe. Oh, it's it's still terrifying to me because I'm like I don't want to mess this up. Like I'm I'm already like like seventy percent the way through this. If I mess up now, I have to start all over again. And oh, it's it's funny because he's always there telling me he's like, "All right, bigger cut, bigger cut. Come on, <laughs> don't don't be afraid to let that pipe that's inside that block of briar out of there." Right. Yeah. Exactly, and it was just so intense to me at first. I was like, this is really how this is done? I thought this was like some really, really slow, slow process, and it's it's all about efficiency, and I'm learning why it's all about efficiency. It makes so much sense, and <laughs> how it's all done, it, oh my goodness, it blew my, I mean, learning all these things that, like, immediately, all, learning stuff about proper shaping, or why this is shaped this way, why why on a straight pipe? It, we, we can't it forward. I was like, Oh my! God. I was like, this makes so much sense. I never, I've never even noticed this. I haven't smoking for you know six, seven years. I've never noticed this. So when you were practicing so, on the shaping wheel, was he giving you just you know old blocks of briar just to screw around with? Uh, there were some blocks of briar that were given to me, and then I did purchase um, a good amount of Algerian from Steve when he had a sale, and uh, I, I've been practicing on those a lot. That, that's that's been what I've been doing. And it, and it was just because he's like, Hey, it's just, it's just some wood. That's yeah. all it is. It's just some wood. Yeah. Or it's, it's just a stem. Don't worry. It's just a little bit of ebonite. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and inside I'm just freaking out like, but I paid money for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And he's like, you're going to have mistakes. He's like, for all you know, there's a big old sand pit in there and you're not even going to be able to use it. I'm like, Oh, please don't tell me that. <laughs> you, you paid, you paid money for all those hockey lessons and all those hockey teams that you were on. And now look what, look where that right. money went. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you got that right. Yeah. Uh, what was the, ne what's the next thing you're, what's the next step in the, uh, in the Nate school? Uh, the next step for me is to really, really focus on stems. Um, I, it's not like I have shaping down perfect, but seeing as I'm doing that more naturally by myself without having help from him, of course he'll step in and say, hey, you should you should take a little bit off here. I'll hand him a pipe and say, hey, like, can you just tell me what I should do? He said, all right, little circle spots where he's like, this needs to come down this much. I'm like, really? I thought that was perfect. He's like, nope, you need to look, you need to see. But now I'm working on stems, getting those dialed in and not just the shaping of them, but of course the drilling and all the little fine tuning you do when it comes down to making the draft hole and the fishtail, oh my goodness, it is monotonous. And I have so much more appreciation for, for <laughs> pipe makers and just pipes in general now. All those hours of sitting there sanding and smoothing the stem and getting the draft hole nice and smooth. And uh, it's, yeah. it's also glorious, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's, I mean, like on that first pipe I did, oh my, I mean, I, I kind of had, I had one shot because, it was um, it was Joe's uh, it, it was some of Joe's ebonite or that I was using, and it was that beautiful teal ebonite. And I just was like, "This is my one shot. I get at this because he could only give me enough for this pipe, and I gotta do this right." <laughs> so yeah, it was that that was very tedious. I took a lot longer on that stem than I probably should have, but seeing as it was a one time shot type deal. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did still make it well. I was very proud of that stem. 
Is there a shape of pipe that is uh, intimidating you right now? Uh, almost all of them, just because it's, especially the classics. I mean, they're all intimidating currently just because it's, there's something to learn out of each of them. And if I'm following it like the true, true English, Italian, Danish way, if, if I'm making a classic, I'm following it true to classic shape. It's very easy to mess it up. It's it's very easy to get it a true shape, and that's what I want to focus on. You know, if I outside of commission pipes, when I'm doing pipes right now, I'm not going to be doing anything crazy, anything wild. I want to focus on making classic, classic shapes, so that way I have that in my wheelhouse, and that I can then on, you know, evolve from there and do my own twist on a classic and. That way I know what a classic should look like. Now I can put my twist on it. And it's intimidating knowing that, like, all right, if I'm going to make this right, like, once I go too far, there's no going back from that. So even just learning what a true classic should look like has been intimidating and interesting at the same time. Never, like, thinking I know all this stuff about pipes from (laughs) – from (laughs) – from all that I've learned from other people, from the internet, from running pipe clubs and managing those, just, I, I thought I knew it all, and I definitely did not. So now you've, uh, you've been to two Chicago pipe shows. Three. Three. All right, now, yes. uh, good, that's even better. You've been to three Chicago pipe shows. This last yeah. one, do you have a completely uh, different view when you look at a pipe? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely. It's it's not like I can go up to pipes and like talk to talk to another pipe maker and be like, like now it's more than just like, oh, I love that pipe. It's so nice looking. Now it's like, oh my goodness, I know the amount of time you spent into this pipe and <laughs> all that you did on this. It's it's incredible. Like, I, I look at some of these pipe carvers, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, how did you do this? Like, I, I could try to do that on 30 pipes and not even come close. That's incredible. How do you do that? Like, and so just being able to be there and talk with some other pipe makers and ask them questions, pick their brains, was really, really fun. And I learned a lot this year. <laughs> yeah, different, little different perspective. Um, how are you uh, stamping your pipes? Uh, currently, I'm stamping them with just the basic letter stamps. I'll put uh, JPWP, uh, then, you know, 001, 002, 003. Um, that's how I'm stamping them currently. I am, after I sell a couple, I'm going to buy, well, after I sell maybe about three or four more, I'm going to, you know, purchase a little bit more ebonite, get some more colors in than just black. Um, I still have a good stock of briar right now, but I'm going to purchase my own. Um, custom stamp to the bottom of the pipe and after a really really cool conversation yesterday with the guy who um, actually does a lot of style of uh, pressings for disc golf discs uh, locally here about 11 minutes away from my house um, him and I are going to try to work on a way to stamp the stems of my pipes too to give that give my little logo of the three nails that are a part of my logo put that putting that on the stem similar to how um, Savinelli does it with their stems. <laughs> so that's that's to come in the future. We're going to be doing a lot of like testing and trying to figure out what works best and stays the longest. So that's going to be a while until that really kind of comes to fruition because we want to make sure that it's going to last the lifetime of the pipe and not just you know <laughs> a few months. Uh, and this may sound ignorant, but is there a religious uh, meaning behind the three nails? Yes. Yes, there is. Um, and that's part of the reasons why I did that. Originally, the name, <laughs> when I was younger, when I first started making pipes and tampers, I called myself Solomon and Sparrow, which uh, was Latin for uh, hope and relief. And then at one point, I called myself Iron Nail Woodworks and having the three nails um, in like Colossians 2.14 was a big part of that. Um, and... Uh, now that I know is, you know, it, it makes more sense for me to go under my name and not some stage name or not some something like that. Even though John Wolf already sounds fairly stage name-ish, <laughs> I didn't want to call him just 
just wolf pipes because then it was clearly it didn't sound like it was something real. So I went with my initials and my last name. And uh, the three nails are directly uh, related to religion. So, yeah. And it, it's one of those, like, it's kind of what brought me here today. And I find a lot of meaning in it. And it's very close to my heart. So had to had to do the three nails. And it's a good reminder to let you know that, you know, you're just guiding the wood, just like you're being guided through life. A hundred percent. That's obviously one of the main reasons why I do it. And then again, like as silly as it may sound that if anyone were ever by my pipe and have that question and, you know, want to talk about it, that's, that's kind of one of the points, the talking point for my pipe. If they have questions about it, I'm always willing to talk, um, about my faith, about my religion, whatever you may want to call it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's not ever meant to be a selling point for me. It's not ever meant some sort of way to convince someone to be like me or convince someone to believe like I do or have faith like I do. It's, it's more of a conversation starter. Um, and so very something personal for me and how important it is to me. And it's better than a stamp of a little opera singing hockey player. Exactly. Cause I, I actually, you know what? That might be really interesting. You might be on something. <laughs> I almost—I want to see what that looks like. <laughs> maybe, maybe down the road, that can be your ultimate high-grade stamp. Yes, that, that could be my ultimate high-grade stamp. Maybe, maybe a hockey player in some sort of, you know, preachers, you know, with the little white collar and everything, and, and be singing some opera. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should make that happen. <laughs> If uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to buy one of your pipes or see your pipes, where do they go? How do they do it? Uh, currently, since I am very new, all I have is Facebook and Instagram, um, which you just look up J.P. Wolf Pipes, and you're going to find it. Uh, wolf as in the animal, seeing as everyone always wants to put an E on my last name. I never know why, <laughs> but it's felt like the animal, like it should be. All you weird people that put the E on, your, on the end of your name, I don't get it. <laughs> but but yeah, so just Facebook and Instagram, GP Wolf Pipes. Um, eventually, of course, I'm going to open up a website at some point. Who knows when it is down the line? Because I have so much other stuff on my plate right now that I need to focus on, like a newborn. Who I will say this, and I'm I'm really proud that I I, I got this. Uh, my wife let me choose the name for our son, and his name is Briar. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never, yeah. I'll never be able to spell it because there are two words in the English language that I mistype all the time. It's Briar and Brain. I can't get them. They all come out Brian. <laughs> they all come out Brian. Oh, odd. Yeah, I, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, anyway, we will, uh, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Oh, I, I've been practicing this for years. All right, good. Me the last three years. What? Dreamed. I've dreamed of being on this show in, in complete honesty. Always wondered. I was like, man, how cool would it be if I could if I could become a pipe maker and someday talk on a pipe making radio show with Brian Levine. Wow, you had low hopes. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, here they are. Your dream has come true. It's going to be quick and oh, painful. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is a uh, a Nirup classic that my wife picked out for me on our honeymoon. And what is your favorite tobacco? Favorite tobacco is Warlick Dark Strong Kentucky. What is your favorite drink? My favorite drink is Elijah Creek whiskey. Ooh, good taste. Um Thank you. When it's time to relax, wait, wait a second. Time to relax. You work a full time job. You're pipe making, and you have a newborn. So this is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And I also have a part time job going right now too. So I'm about eighty hours a week right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so do you do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the part that I always left. Um, I have to change it up on you. Uh, I prefer a TV show with my wife. We we prefer TV shows and TV series over movies. So, had to go that route. There you go. Uh, last question is, do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Yes, I do. Uh, it is 
one of my favorite times that I've ever smoked a pipe, which was on our honeymoon, the day that my wife bought me my favorite pipe. Um, well, picked it out, per se. We bought it together. She picked it out. And we were ending the night on the top of uh, the roof of our hotel room in Chicago. I bought it at Ewan Reese. And um, we sat up there and smoked a pipe together. And it was just one of those, like, tier two moments where I was like, this is the lady I've spent the rest of my life with. And, like, she just picked me out this beautiful pipe, which at first I actually didn't like it. I thought it was just too busy for me. And then it ended up becoming one of my favorite all-time smokers, probably just because of the memory and the fact that she picked it out for me. That sounds wonderful. Uh, John, I got one more thing for you that you, that you weren't right. planning on. Uh, save a date for next summer. We'll have you back on, and I'm going to ask you some of the same questions and see what's changed since then. Awesome. I'm sure a lot will. At least I hope a lot will. <laughs> I hope I learn some more. <laughs> and by then you'll have a one-year-old. By then I will have a one-year-old. And a, uh, let's see, I'll have a five-year-old then, too. Oh, so you've already been through the terrible twos, so you know what you got coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I said five-year-old. Well, I'll have a four-year-old. Goodness. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Goodness. Well. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Time does fly. Uh, yeah, you, you, let's just say my, my son, my first son, Lincoln, he just probably should never listen to this, because I'll probably just ruin his life forever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least his name's not STEM material. At least, yeah, at least it's not, you know, we. I talked about having his name as Burley, and, you know, and that didn't fly. We went with Lincoln, so it's probably a good thing. <laughs> there you go. John, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Brian. And we'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back and uh, keep an eye out for John's Pipes. Uh, in fact, that reminds me, I saw, I got to hang out a little bit with Eric Nording, his son, and his grandson was there. Uh, and had dinner the uh, first full night I was there with uh, Antoine. So it was good to catch up with him again. Hadn't seen him since Chicago. Um, all right, so for music, we're going to a Disney song and... I, you know, it has nothing to do pipe smoking related. What it has to do is it's uh, from the Fox and the Hound, and it's called The Best of Friends. And it was reminded by me when our when our own uh, Kevin Godby and Lori lost their uh, little best of friend. And uh, several other of my friends recently have had uh, best friends that have uh, gone to the other side. And I just like this song. It's just pretty, and it's also uh, sung by Pearl Bailey. So here it is. the best of friends Having so much fun together You're not even aware You're such a funny pair You're the best of friends Life's a happy game You could clown around forever Neither one of you sees Your natural boundaries Life's one happy game for 
If only the world wouldn't get in the way If only people would just let you play They say you'll both be fools You're breaking all the rules They can't understand The magic of your wonderland <laughs> When you're the best of friends Sharing all that you discover When these moments have passed Will that friendship last? Who can say there's a way? Oh, I hope, I hope it never ends Cause you're the best of I think that's just a uh, beautiful little song, and it's for all of us who have uh, best of friends that we have or may have lost that are either furry, feathered, flesh, or even with uh, scales on. Tuesday, Monday. You've got mail. Tuesday, Wednesday. You've got mail. Thursday, Friday. You've got mail. In the mailbag, and I've got to apologize right now. I think I may have lost some messages that were sent to me and uh, some other things I wanted to mention. But anyway, I'll get caught up, maybe, hopefully. Uh, going back to the episode with Dino on about three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, uh, Pappy Mac writes, Another great show. You have me stumped on the statement about how congressional subcommittees though work, though. In my experience, they don't work except by accident. <laughs> or by bribe um, and then he goes on to write, to write about your rant on CVS come down to Louisiana and you can go in and buy all the beer, wine, and hard liquor you want you can even find cold beer and wine in most of them as for candy, yep, they still sell candy in the stores down here, personally I think they should stop being hypocrites and stop selling anything which is not a pharmaceutical yeah, or a uh, vitamin, anyway uh, when I was in Vegas, uh, I had to go into CVS because it was the closest one to me, and it kind of pained me, um, but uh, I did it. Uh, going back to uh, two weeks ago with uh, Neil, the garage-made pipe tool, uh, Dino says, Neil was quite a fascinating guest. I enjoyed the conversation. I own one Sassini, an Ashford S from the late 60s. It's a favorite and a fabulous smoker. Probably because of the open draft hole, I can easily get a doubled-up bristle cleaner through the shank. I really appreciate Lalo Schifrin's music, not only his great movie and TV scores, but also some of his early jazz albums. Good choice, as always. Thanks for the entertaining show, Dino. You are welcome. And, uh, yeah, Lalo was, uh, I mean, he's quite prolific. Uh, I mean, just a ton of stuff. And then uh, last week's show with uh, Terry Carpenter. I think I'm going to have Terry back on and have him talk about the books that he doesn't like the most. That might be fun. Uh, Casey Ghost writes, uh, Magret is a prototypical pipe smoker and a real good choice to be one of your great smokers of the past. Uh, Gerald Ford, having to deal with Betty, needed a pipe to stick with her. <laughs> uh, Terry Carpenter was a real good interview. I was really impressed with his knowledge of pipe literature and how much of it he has. He has a good appreciation of Latakia tobacco, which was nice to hear. Yeah, we can't always poo-poo the burnt tobaccos. Uh, remember, if you have any questions or comments, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. We would appreciate that. And uh, leave ratings or reviews on iTunes or any of those other funny places where you can rate or review stuff. And lastly, as I'm looking up the date... Uh, the next pipe show, where you can uh, hang out with some of your best of friends, is uh, Columbus, Ohio, actually in Dublin, Ohio, and that is August 25th and 26th, so uh, mark your calendars and get your schedules all set up, and we'll see you there. And in just a moment, rave time. Cowboy. 
boy. Cowboy. I don't care if I've said this before, because I think I did, but I'm going to uh, rave a little bit about the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Flamingo was uh, founded by Bugsy Siegel, so it goes way back, way back. I mean, way back. It's it. Parts of it are still original to Bugsy Siegel being there. Most of it's completely renovated. It is not the nicest, most premier place. It is more of a uh, tourist place. It's more of a tour group place. But here's what they did for me. I was guaranteed a smoking room. And it was one of their new fancy go rooms, as they call them. Geo, go room. So it was brightly lit. The shower was nice, the beds were comfortable, and there was two TVs, one in the one in the living room or the bedroom area and one in the bathroom. What else do you need out of a hotel? The closet space was plenty for me being there for 6 days. This was a perfectly comfortable room, and I will tell you my total bill for the room for 6 nights and this includes the internet and all those resort fees and taxes that they do was 500 bucks. All right? If you're on the Las Vegas Strip and you want to find a room that is that nice for that price, you're going to be paying 150 bucks a night. There were people down the road at the uh, at other places that were paying uh, that were paying well over 100 dollars a night for a room that had parts that were breaking and things were falling off at the Westgate. The hotel also has an incredible location. It is right across the street from Caesar's Palace three hotels away from the Venetian, diagonally across to Bellagio, and easy walking access to Paris or Planet Hollywood. What else do you want from a hotel? I'm going to go a little long on this because I really enjoyed my stay at the Flamingo because right next door in a shopping little shopping district where I walked out of the back of the casino, turned right in 100 yards, I was at In-N-Out Burger, so I didn't have to spend a fortune on food. Or if I wanted a nice meal, there were plenty of nice restaurants around there, plenty of things to eat within walking distance, so no taxi money or Uber money was really spent to get anywhere. The monorail drops off right in the back of the Flamingo, and I've done some research. If you stay in the spa tower of the Flamingo, it's the closest access to the monorail, and if this is starting to sound like a Flamingo Hotel commercial, well... So be it. I've now done this three different times over two years, and it's worked every time. Guaranteed smoking room, easy access to the monorail, lots of stuff to do within easy walking distance of it. And I asked them for the for the smoking room, and I asked for the spa tower, and what did they do? They gave me the 26th floor, two rooms off of the elevator. So when I got back from the trade show after my feet were hurting... It was really easy to get back to my hotel room. So let me highly recommend to you the Flamingo Hotel if you're traveling on a budget or if you want to waste a whole bunch, I mean, spend a whole load of money, go get something fancy. If you want something fancy, I really like Mandalay Bay. Uh, there you go. That's the show. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Again, tell all your friends, tell all your enemies about the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you to uh, John Wolf for joining us, and until next time. About the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails. <laughs> 
please stay tuned for another episode of the Smooth Jazz Radio Hour featuring Chuck Mangione with special guest host Kenny G coming up right after this message. 